Blog Talk Radio. If it's smooth jazz, then the Jazz Queen and Mike Reynolds are talking about it on Talking Smooth Jazz, the smoothest show on internet radio. Your hosts, the Jazz Queen and Mike Reynolds. Hello and welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz. My name is Terry, a.k.a. the Jazz Queen. Mike, how are you? I'm doing okay today, Terry. How's everything going out there in Vegas? Good, good. Nice weather, not too cold, not too warm, just right for me. Just right. If you would like to join us in the chat room, please go to TalkingSmoothJazz.com and click on Dan Siegel's Indigo Picture, and that will bring you into BlogTalkRadio.com. You scroll down and you'll see the chat room from there. If you'd like to give us a call, call in to speak with Dan. The number is 646-716-5485. 646-716-5485. Pianist and composer Dan Siegel's new release, Indigo, is his first in five years and his 20th release. The Smooth Jazz Ride labeled it a well-produced exercise in the wonderment of jazz. Dan Siegel, welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz. Thank you very much, Terry. Nice to have you here. Congratulations on Two Points, your 20th release and 35 years in the business. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's been uh, it's been a long time, I guess. Yeah, long, long time, long time. And um, the, on your 20th release here now, this is this is a milestone as well. Um, nice, nice music here, uh, Indigo, Indigo. So tell us about Indigo and um, why it's five years. Um, well, that's a good question. You know, in the early days, like we were just talking about how it's, uh, I've been doing this for about 35 years. And in the early days, uh, I guess I was just a little bit more prolific and I had a manager that beat me up and told me that I had to put a record out every nine months. And, uh, and I just about did. And mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, uh, the time has spaced out and this is as far as I've ever, or as long as it's ever taken me to to finish a project and uh, indeed five five years in the making to um, to completion um, I started writing uh, probably two and a half years ago and um, you know when you're not under a deadline to release something mm-hmm. then you can take your time and mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of uh, maybe obsessive about the, the process where I would write a song and sometimes I'd come up with an idea and it would um, it'd take me 20 minutes to finish most of the idea. And then it would take me another month to finish the other 20%, you know, I mean, so I just, it just, I'm just really slow. And um, I kept writing and writing and writing until it took me, you know, a couple years until I had, the funny thing is I had about nine songs that I was happy with and we started recording and uh, and that was the the 10th song was um, spur of the moment because it wasn't quite finished and and I was working with Bromberg and you know we're in the studio and he goes all right so that's nine songs where's the 10th song I said well this one isn't finished and because well we got to record something so I said well you know it's kind of just a blues and and uh, Will Kennedy was there and he had to leave the next day so we just said, okay, let's finish this. You know, we'll just lay down Will's part, and and I'll finish writing it later. So it was hence spur of the moment. So mm-hmm. that was the that was the process. Two years in in the recording from when we started to when I finished, and five years between projects. So that's kind of that was the genesis of it. 
Okay. Um, let me welcome to the chat room, Joe from Germany, Ali and a guest. Welcome. Uh, thank you for tuning in. So now, Dan, this is your 20th release. Um, how challenging is it? And this release actually, Indigo, is all original music. How challenging is it to come up with original music or does it come easy for you? Well, I think um, the real question is, how challenging is it to write good music? Or, you know, I was talking to Boney. Boney had a had a great line, and 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 I like to to borrow it. And he says, you know, I just try to write music that doesn't suck, and uh, <laughs> and that's that's the same thing that I do. You know, I mean, it's easy. I can come up with a song in ten minutes. Is it any good? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. So the real challenge is is, and at this point trying to come up with something that I'm relatively proud of or not even proud, but just that I can listen to it and, and I can go, okay, this is a well-constructed piece of music. Um, and that's really the only criteria that I use is, is um, to, to consider whether or not it's uh, something is done and whether it's going to make it on the recording. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone into the studio with songs that I thought were going to be good. And somehow during the recording process, um, things take a left-hand turn and you're like, wow, that song isn't any good. And the ones that you didn't think were going to be any good somehow flower and become, um, you know, nice, nice pieces. So it's kind of a mystery. And, and that's the beauty of recording. I mean, there's nothing more, more inspiring and fulfilling than, than, being able to record. It's just so much fun. Uh, everybody should do it, you know? It just <laughs> it costs money. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, Dan, I got exposed to your music um, with your album uh, Inside Out when you were on the uh, Native Language um, label. And, 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 you know, being that you took five years to make this uh, new CD, you know, did that have anything to do with it, the fact that you're, because you have your own label now. I think it's Dan Siegel Music, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, well, you know, as as you know, the, the music business has been changing um, in the last, you know, for sure, the last seven years has gone through a drastic transition. Um, when I first started, of course, everybody got signed to record labels that subsidized the production of of masters and um, they were responsible for marketing and promotion and it was sort of an exchange with the that you kind of went into a partnership with the with the record label and as time has gone on with the the internet and digital media and um, the whole paradigm of the music business has changed and um, many of those record companies that supported um, music and in, and specifically the jazz genre, which is, is you know a very small overall percentage of the the music buying public, has gotten smaller, and a lot of those labels have gone out of business and just disappeared. And you could see it in the consolidation, even of the major labels. There are only three major labels left. Um, you know, there used to be many, many more, and subsidiaries of all of those. So that the whole the, the whole platform for creating and promoting music has changed um and for a lot of independent artists like myself we were kind of forced to um 
either create our own labels and um, subsidize our own production and uh, pay for it ourselves and then end up with a master that then we could go out and market and sell to a distribution company, which is uh, what I've done on, in the last uh, three or four projects. Um, because there just uh, there isn't the money out there for um, for record companies to uh, take a gamble because they probably won't see it, in, you know, in the return in their investment. So mm. it's really gotten more difficult for uh, for independent artists to, you know, to to create their music and get it out there to the public. I mean, um, you know, everybody has a, a computer with a, an audio. Uh, recording program in their garage or in their bedroom or whatever and it's real easy to make the music but um, it really to do it right like the way I do it I like to work with real human beings and and not drum machines anymore so um, you know I like to hire guys and go in the studio and hang out for weeks and weeks on end and and that just costs money uh, yeah. just you know there's just no shortcut if you would like to do it like that and um, so you know that's the process that I go by. A lot of people don't do it that way. They, you know, they'll use more machines, which I sh- certainly have done in the past. But I'm at the point where I like to hang out with humans. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a listen to Indigo. Um, I, as I told you earlier, I live in Vegas, and the College Station here has been. Uh, you've been getting a lot of spins on the title track. Um, itself. Um, But I want to play track one. I want to start with that one. It's called To Be Continued. Tell me about that one. Um, Originally, the the title track, that was going to be the title track of the record, uh, To Be Continued. Um, And it's uh, sort of a gothic, you know, big overall arching theme that, you know, starts with. And um, it's hard to pinpoint because, you know, that track is as a lot of these tracks they're they don't quite fall in in one genre or another kind of a, they're kind of a combination of uh, of elements the the one thing that that track has going for it as uh, does probably three or four others is that originally when i was conceiving this material i i heard some kind of orchestral element uh, not strings and not a traditional like uh Tower of Power horn section, but uh, more of a brass choir which with uh, conical bore horns, and um, those horns being French horn, uh, the euphonium or the tuba, and mm-hmm. um, flugelhorn. The the bore of those horns, and if you if you know if we had a if I had a picture of them, I could show you the difference. But they have um, a a smoother, rounder sound, and um, when we when I put those um, instruments on there, it gives an orchestral sort of a lush background to the whole track, and you almost don't even know what they are. They don't even almost sound like brass, but they, they are indeed brass instruments, but just the, the construction of the, the instrument itself lends a softer and, and more diffuse sound, which is uh, really beautiful, and uh, so that's, there's a lot of those, those horns on, on that particular track. Okay, we're talking to pianist and composer Dan Siegel. His new CD is called Indigo, and this is To Be Continued. Mm 
from Dan Siegel's new CD, Indigo, that was to be continued. Um, Dan, you mentioned Brian Bromberg before, and I know that he co-produced this CD with you. Was it a decision, did you guys decide not to put covers on this CD? Um, <clears throat> we had kind of discussed the possibility, but um, I, you know, I brought quite a few tunes, uh, you know, to the to the very beginning meeting that we had, you know, and there was it's kind of like, you know, if you've got the tunes, um, you know, why not use them? And um, it's it, it, there's two ways to look at it. You know, when you're doing covers, you're you're pretty much interpreting somebody else's music, mm-hmm. and, and it's a lot of fun. I like to do that when we play live. But for um, recording, I like to record my vision of what I hear. And, you know, some people are writers, some people are players, and I tend to look at myself as more of a a writer, a composer these days. And so I I just don't seem to have a shortage of material. Maybe maybe a shortage of good material, that could be argued, but, you know, it's just there's a lot of music that comes to me, so um, I figure why not, you know? Okay. Okay. I have a question for you from the chat room. Ali J would like to know which takes longer to put together, the live or not so live CD? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, I would say the not so live CD. Um, the, the cool thing, and you know, after listening to that track, I have to really give credit to, to the, the wonderful players that participated. Um, you know, anytime you go in and <clears throat> you make a record, and your name's on the front. You know, there's, it's never a solitary uh, process. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that contribute, and I mean, just the way we cut this album was live with um, piano, bass, and drums, and um, sometimes with the addition of a guitar. And, you know, Will Kennedy, there's nobody that plays like him. And the same thing can be said for Bromberg. You know, he, um, it's all upright bass. And, you know, you almost, he plays it like an electric. There's just no, there's no person alive that I know that kind of plays as funky as him, you know, on a, on an acoustic bass. And that's a, that's a real achievement. And um, when you're cutting with live players, and, you know, especially players of this caliber that just, they're just so great. You hear the you hear the tune immediately. You know what you got, and um, the the challenge when you're using not live stuff machines is that you have to keep layering. You keep layering, and you put another synth track, you put another whatever, another drum machine track. You keep putting stuff on, and that takes more time. Um, it's almost like it's immediately realized when you when you listen to it with players. And there's also another weird phenomenon that happens is that when you go in with three people, the record is almost done. You can, like, you hear it. You go, oh, okay, well, we can do some overdubs, but the track reveals itself with live players. When you're using machines, you end up with more and more and more and more tracks, and it still doesn't sound finished. And I don't know, it's a phenomenon that I haven't really figured out, but um, it's I just tend to, like, keep piling things on with the when it's not so live because you just it doesn't it doesn't manifest itself for some reason i don't know why that is but that's the that's the beauty of working with with live players okay now now with that being said uh, how have you adjusted 
to the way that everything has changed over the years, because like you said, when you, you know, started everything, things were totally different from the way it is now with the social media and, the, uh, you know, having to promote your own CDs and things like that. So how have you adjusted over the years with dealing with these type of things? Well, probably not very well. You know, <laughs> uh, you know it's like, that's what everybody says. You got to like keep up with the social media. You got to keep up, you know, you got to do Twitter and you, and as, as we all know, is that that's very time-consuming, you know. Uh, and I'm probably not that interesting of a human being, you know. So when it, when it's all exposed, it's like, well, this guy, we like his, his music a lot better than we actually like his personality, you know. So you got to be careful not to reveal too much about yourself. But, um, yeah, it's like with the new, the new um, music business that exists now, uh, the requirement for the artist is to... to to be involved in so many different things. You know, you're your own producer. You, most of the time you're your own manager and agent and, and publicist. And, and, you know, not to mention you got to, you know, keep practicing your instrument and, 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 you know, maintain your chops on your instrument. And so it's, it's a lot more demanding. And um, some people do it better than others. Um, I'm not really sure, you know. I mean, I've I've hired out certain things because I just can't focus on that many of those those uh, other aspects of the business and still try to, to you know maintain some semblance of, of order in the rest of my life. So it's it is it's challenging, and and I know that everybody else feels it as well. It's just it's a real it's a real demand on your time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about the cover of Indigo? I read that the photography is all yours, um, taken in different locations. Yeah, it's that's true. Um, the The cover is was sorry, the original, and boy, this cover was a nightmare. Let me just tell you, <laughs> trying to trying to uh, capture. A, a concept, an idea that you have in your mm-hmm. head, and then going through an artist and explaining that um, is is difficult because um, everybody sort of has their own interpretation of what you're trying to say. And uh, there were actually three different artists that worked on this. Um, and from the beginning, um, it was uh, the person that. Joe Sherbonnet, who actually is a, a graphic artist who runs Distribution 13, who used to run Native Language Music, he's a graphic artist, and he's a, he's a really good one. And he started out with this concept somewhere in like May, last May, and we were talking about a, a you know a concept for the the project. And he spent a lot of time. It's it started out with his mother mother in law like knitting a quilt. Believe it or not, he had this idea for all. And I said, you know. You won't really, I won't know if it works until it works and I see it. And so he spent months. And in the end, we ended up with like this really great graphic that looked like it would be just perfect for like a bluegrass album. <laughs> and so, mm. uh, you know, I like looked at it and went, yeah, I said, Joe, this is beautiful, uh, but it doesn't work. And so we were forced to then go choose another idea and I had a couple pictures that um, that I had and I, I kind of anticipated some kind of collage for the front and um, you know I tried to 
explain that to another artist who then really didn't have a good grasp on the idea. And it was my wife who ended up like taking some of the photographs that um, I had shot that were sitting around, and she was like sitting there on her iPhone of all things with a little app on her iPhone, and she's like going, "Look at this," and I'm going, "Well, that looks pretty cool." You know, I mean, on your phone, it's like pretty <laughs> amazing. So, um, but that didn't really work when we blew it up because the the resolution was so low, and mm -hmm. so it ended up I ended up going back to Joe, and I I gave Joe. Uh, the um the pictures that i had shot and they were uh from just maybe the last five or six years of just random things that i'd shot that uh, and some of them my wife had actually shot there was a couple and they they were from paris there's quite a few pictures from paris and then there's um some shots from where i live here in irvine california there's some shots uh in malibu at the getty museum and I think there's one shot of a building in Berkeley, California, where my son is going to school, and we just dropped him off in, like, August. And so I shot a picture of the building, a building in Berkeley that meets a building in Paris, and the two are kind of Photoshopped together to look like one, but they're two different buildings. So it's the way that all those pictures are put together is the, the cover. And the, the connection is, and this is sort of, you know, it, it's pretty tangential, but... Um, when, you know, going through, like, trying to figure out what the, the title of the record is going to be, <clears throat> and I came up with the idea of Indigo being the, the title, um, the, the song Indigo, which, um, obviously it's, you know, there's been a lot of, there's been several songs that had the, the word Indigo in them, but, you know, it's a, it's a mix of, of blue and black, and, um, you know, sort of like the blues and, you know, um, the dark color of, of, you know, just a real dark and earthy, moody kind of vibe. And um, the song Indigo, originally, and this is the funny thing, is that, and this is very, you know, circular in the, in the, the process here of when I'm trying to explain it, but originally the song Indigo, when it was tracked, it sounded like a Joe Sample tune. It starts... You know, and it really that was how I thought of it, and um, mm -hmm. may Joe rest in peace. You know, um, but he uh, he was really the inspiration for that song. And as we started um, overdubbing stuff, you know, uh, Alan Hines, who's like a phenomenal guitarist, and um, he's sort of he's from the South, and so that connection. It, he's really into Little Feet and all that kind of slide guitar, Southern rock kind of stuff. And the connection there is like the Cajun thing, you know. If when you think of New Orleans and you think of the New Orleans and the blues in the South, that's indigo to me. And so that connection of of just that that dark purplish blue black mix of colors is is the colors musically that came together to be the the track itself. And uh, when we added the horns on top of it, it took just a completely different direction as well, but still remained in that sort of southern kind of bluesy uh, rock Memphis, New Orleans vibe. And then, you know, of course, um, if you go back in history, the French, they owned that whole middle section of the United States in the 17, 1800s, and we we bought it from them for $15 million in the Louisiana Purchase. So I figured that it sort of made sense to put a bunch of pictures from, from Paris 
uh, on the cover of uh, of Indigo, and that's <laughs> I told you it was it was it's pretty tangential, but that was my <laughs> thoughts and how it all kind of came together. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we've, I'm going to play the title track, Indigo. Um, this, the CD is available on Amazon and on Dan's website, Dan Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, music.com. This is the title track.
Very nice. And you got thumbs up in the chat room on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that tune, man. It 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 has kind of a it has a, it has a, an attitude and a vibe that, that kind of works. And um, you know, Will Will Kennedy, the drummer, when we finished that, he let out a little scream, which didn't make it on the the final uh, track. But it was at the very end. He let out this wah, you know, cause the groove <laughs> felt so good. So we kind of knew going down that 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 tune had something to it. But all right, well, that was the title track from Dan Siegel's new CD, Indigo. Um, I want to read a review from Axis.com. Uh, it says, Dan Siegel's ingenuity is fascinating to hear, and the music on Indigo shows his musical growth that has graduated to heights which other contemporary jazz keyboarders have not attained. That, that's, that's a really good review right there. That other wow. contemporary jazz keyboarders have not attained. Mm. Well, that, that it might be a slight overstatement, but you know I'll <laughs> take it. That you know it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Joe says the horn section on that song sounds great. You know, um, that's another funny story, uh, and it's it's kind of a good one because um, we had two different horn sections on there, and um, the 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 guys that played the orchestral horns. Um, also played on that track, and um, you know that it's. And this was a Bromberg line. He goes, "It's not what you play; it's how you play it." And after he had given me a lecture that I shouldn't write my own horn arrangements, which was sort of funny because he he said that the track, you know, that the the, the arrangement didn't work, and you know, so I thought, "Wow!" I said I was really disappointed that it, you know it didn't work, and. Um, we called in Lee Thornburg, who was the guy, uh, lead trumpet player from Tower Power. Mm -hmm. And he also plays um, valve trombone on that track. And we, I said, you know, it was at the end of the session, I said, I've got this other, this other arrangement, because I decided I wasn't going to use horns on that track, Indigo, because it just didn't work, I thought. And so Lee said, well, let me hear it, you know. And so he lays down, laid down his track with um, a sax player named Steve Torok. And they laid it down, and it was like night and day. Same notes played by different people. And, again, a lesson in, you know, you don't really know what you got until you get the right people. And I was in the control room going, wow, that really works. And when I hear it, every time I hear it played back, it's like, you know that the the arrangement works really well, and it was just because of you know the way that he interpreted it and played it. And the notes were the same as the previous uh, section players, but the result was entirely different. Mm. So, Romberg bought me a drink on that one. <laughs> now you've worked with with um, Brian before, haven't you, on other music? Uh, a couple different. Uh, I've worked on a couple records of his, and uh, and he's worked on. The last two records of mine, previous okay. two. Okay. I've right. known him for a long, long time. Okay. Now, you've also used uh, Lenny, Lenny Castro on this CD as well, right? Lenny's a guy that, geez, uh, yeah, I've known uh, Lenny, um, geez, 1981, uh, I think the first was the first project that I worked with Lenny on. And, you know, he's a... He is a, a standard um, here in in the in the L.A. area as far as percussionist, and he's just 
Um, just a heck of a lot of fun, and his groove is as strong as any percussion player um, known to man. You know, so you know, just having Lenny on there just kind of adds that foundation. Yeah, he's great. Okay. Now, um, Dan, thinking about all of your releases, um, which album do you think made you a better musician? And how has your music evolved since your debut CD? Wow. Uh, well, I think, I think I've gotten a lot smarter. Uh, you know, you're supposed to get smarter the older you get. That's sometimes in certain areas. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I used to... In the probably around the second or third CD that I started uh, that I made, I used to try to second guess myself and think what would be commercial, mm-hmm. and you know commercial just means what people are going to buy or what people are going to you know consume or accept, and so that can be any number of different things. And um, I don't I don't do that anymore. I just write what pleases me. And, you know, certainly I have plenty of examples of where it didn't please anybody else. But um, in this particular case, it's like I'm, I'm kind of surprised by the, um, you know, just by the result and, and by the response of people because, you know, people seem to like it, you know, and it's kind of, you know, that's great when that happens. But, you know, you, it's like that old cliche, you know, you have to please yourself. Um, trying to please other people, you know, especially in art, it's just, it doesn't work. You, know, yeah. you can't go out there and try to like, oh, I'm going to make a commercial record. You know, I mean, if you're you're chasing that, you know, that imagine, um, you know, it, it doesn't exist. You know, that, that, that in reality, um, you have to just create music that pleases you and that is good. I mean, that should be the bottom line. And uh, if it's if it if it's commercial, if people come to it and react to it positively, that's great. Um, there are people that certainly that are a lot better that at, at that than me and um and that they try to to work that whatever that commercial vein is and and at this point in my life you know that just I have no interest in doing that anymore I just have interest in like creating music that's viable and and that holds up and like Boney says it doesn't suck <laughs> Mhm okay and um which one would you consider your breakthrough Uh gee there was, you know, there's been a couple of different times when, uh, I guess if I go back, um, I'd probably have to say, you know, which was my biggest record was 1987 Northern Nights. Mm-hmm. And um, I was on um, an independent label at the time, a little company up in the, the valley of Los Angeles Valley, and um uh, or the San Fernando Valley, actually, just over the hill in Glendale, and um, kind of just, you know, trying to eke out a, a living making records for a small independent company. And the funny story was that um, I was going to audition for the, the keyboard part in uh, the group Hiroshima, and um, I, I knew their manager, and I knew Dan Kuramoto, and I was going to um, a, uh, an audition to uh to to try out for the for that the keyboard chair in the group and um the manager who was Dan Dan Kermoto's brother a guy named John Kermoto they were on Epic Records and um they the John had mentioned to um somebody in the marketing department over at Epic 
that I was going to audition for the, the part. And apparently this guy in the marketing department um, knew who I was, and he said, can you set up a meeting and bring him in here? And so I, you know, he, John called me, and, you know, a couple of days later I'm sitting in an office, you know, at CBS or Epic, which was part of CBS, and, you know, Michael Jackson had just, he had his Thriller record, it was just coming out, so, you know, hanging out up there, you know, on uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard in Century City was kind of like it was a cool thing to do. So I'm in the in the office, and and this guy, his name was Larry Stessel, who actually was the marketing, um, the product manager for the Thriller record. He looks at me and he says, "How would you like to be on Epic Records?" And I'm like sitting there, you know, I'm I'm in this, I was, had been on this little independent label, and I'm like, you know, I thought like, what is this guy, you know? Is he a moron or what, you know? And um, of course I want to be on CBS Records or Epic Records. So he uh, he pretty much uh, rescued my career at that point. And um, we got into some disagreements about, um, you know, what the, you know, the, the commercial songs were. And uh, um, it, it was funny because when I turned in, I mastered the, in those days it was vinyl. This was before CDs. And when I turned in the, the record, um, the song, there was a song called Feeling Happy, and I put it on side two, the last track on side two. So, you know, it was the 10th song on the record because I didn't like it. And he, he listened to the album and he calls me and he goes, you know, you got the order of the album wrong. And I'm going, I've never had anybody tell me that before. I kind of, you know, I'll do it myself and I don't need anybody else's opinion. And he, you know, he, he said, well, look, you got to change it. He goes, that song you have that is side two, cut five needs to be side one cut one and i'm we got into an argument about it and of course he's you know he he was michael jackson's product manager and so i said well i said you know maybe this guy knows what he's talking about and that particular song for better or for worse it um it actually made it onto the adult contemporary charts not not the jazz adult contemporary charts but the pop charts made it up to like number 16 and um it was, it was not a song that I liked, and it was real commercial and sort of sappy, but it really it went over really well, and you know radio loved it, and I mean it was uh, it was it was the biggest track I've ever done, and the funny thing was that, you know we had to play the the tune because we were I was touring a lot in those days, and every place we went we had to play that stupid song. <laughs> the band hated me because they didn't want to play that song, you know, and, you know, the bass player would look at me and just like roll his eyes, you know, feeling happy, you know, and I'm just kind of mm. going, wow, you know, I'm never going to write a song that commercial again. And uh, that was kind of, I started to kind of make a, a go in a different direction, but that record was very successful and definitely, you know, got me out of the trenches. trenches and um, so I'd have to, I'd look back on there and then, you know, at that, and that was a pretty, a big peak in my career, I guess. You know, it's funny you say that because sometimes, and Mike and I have talked about this sometimes when uh, an artist will release a single and we will be like, no, they should have released this one first. This one is much better, you know, or right. has more, more, um, up, is more upbeat or whatever to it. And, and, and the one that they release is like, no, not, they shouldn't have released that one. It should have been this one first. So, yeah. Well, you know, that's, a, that's that. an interesting point. I mean, you guys are in radio, you know, so you have a, you have an idea and it would almost be a good idea for um, 
people at the companies and even the artists themselves to poll radio people and find mm-hmm. out what the track is because you know I've always I've had songs that I was you know somehow in love with that I thought okay this is the track this is the track and you know no one else likes it you know and I'm yeah. I'm always attracted to sort of the darker more introspective type tunes um and so I at this point I you know, I don't. I let it go. I let other people tell me, like radio programmers and various other people. I let them tell me what they think, and then you know, there's a consensus form. But you know, you're right. It's a, it's a personal, it's a personal opinion, and you know, sometimes I think the artists are probably the least qualified to make those decisions. And you know, the genre is already. Uh, is our, already has a you know bad name to it anyway. I mean, you know, everybody's saying that smooth jazz is dead, blah, blah, blah. And so when the artists release a song that just kind of fits into what everybody is saying, it's like, okay, you needed to release this song. It's more upbeat. It has more this to it. It has more that to it. And what you're releasing, you know, it sounds more elevator music type thing. So, mm, yeah, I agree. Right. That, that would be a good idea to have even the fans um, polled. Um, well, to that see, is a good you know, idea. Yeah, what, and, you know, and like what like you were saying as well is that the smooth jazz genre became, you know, kind of um, it, it it became so just the way it was created, you know, that there were certain criteria that it had to follow, and one mm-hmm. of them would be like doing covers, and it became so formulaic in a way that um, it started to sound alike, and I think the fans yeah. kind of. You know, they just like, okay, this sounds so much like all the rest of the tracks and that are on the radio, um, as opposed to doing something a little bit slightly different. different. And, uh, yeah. and, that, and I think that that, you know, that will kill a format. And um, yeah. it's got to grow. It's got to, you know, it's, it's, there has to be a little bit of movement and, and, and deviation from, you know, the, that, that middle of the road. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to grow. So. Exactly, exactly. Um, so now before we let you go, I wanted to talk to you about teaching. Are you still teaching at the college? I am. I'm a full-time okay. teacher. Oh, wow. That's got to be uh, a lot. That's got to be hard. Full-time <laughs> teacher and, and your music career and all of that. Well, that's, that could be another reason why it took me, um, you know, five years to get it together. Yeah, uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just, I just, I got tenured last year. And so it's a, the process of getting tenure at an academic institution is kind of grueling. And um, it's like you're the, the fellow uh, the institution and the people in the institution. It's, it's about like, here are these hoops and we, you have to jump through them, even though just because we did and you have to do it too. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, there's committees, there's reports, you have to get um, analyzed by, you know, your fellow professors, you stand up there, you know, they tear you apart, you know, they, they critique you. There's a the whole process that happens. And, you know, that took uh, four years. And, you know, I, I was, that was kind of a focus because you can't really not focus on it. Um, but it's really, it's interesting, too, that um, the benefits of teaching uh, not to mention that it, it's like a, you know, you're working for somebody else so you get a steady paycheck, which is something if you're a jazz musician, that's sort of a, something you don't know anything about. But <laughs> it's that the kids keep me up to date. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they're always bringing me stuff. Most of it I hate. But sometimes they'll bring me something and I'll go, wow, 
that's pretty cool, you know, and they, they keep me up to date on, you know, what the newest trends are. And, and you know, half the time the music that, that they're talking about or the bands they're talking about, I've never heard of. And, you know, and so um, I get a lot out of it as well. You know, the, the payback is that, um, you know, I, I, I get exposed to things that I wouldn't otherwise. And, um, you know, it, it's a challenge, uh, you know, working with kids sometimes. It, it, you know, I, sometimes I think like, you know, some of these younger kids, they, you know, we had a lot more, um, you know, motivation. I think sometimes they don't work hard enough or whatever, but they, I do get a lot out of it as well. So, um, it's, there is a, there's a positive for sure. Okay. All right. Well, well, I'm going to add Dan as well, because Dan, you previewed the CD at, um, um, Spagatini in Seal Beach, uh, California, uh, I think it was last month. Uh, How did that go? And will we be seeing you on the road anytime soon? Well, yeah, I'm, I, I certainly hope so. You know, um, I'm, I'm trying to put together some dates for the spring. And, um, you know, it all kind of depends on – there's just, like, factors that are out of your control, and that has to do with demand. And if, um, you know, if things continue to go the way they are and um, uh, it looks like, you know, radio kicks in and, uh, and then that connects to – you know the, the the buyers at festivals and at clubs, and you just wait. And when the offers come in, um, I rarely say no to anything. You know, I'll go and you know drive or fly somewhere just to just to play. And um, so, yeah, I hope to get out there. And I have a lot of requests. A lot of fans are like, "When are you going to come here? When are you going to come there?" And it's like, as soon as I get an offer for a gig, I'll be there. So right, right, you know. Right. Mm, okay. All right. I'm going to close the show with another song from the Indigo CD. And Dan, I'm going to let you pick it. Ah, uh, gee. One of my favorite tunes is uh, Far and Away. Okay. Tell me about so, that one. Well, that's a. I, I just. I had so much fun playing that track. Um, at the very end, I remember when we were cutting it, and uh, you know, Will Kennedy goes into this sort of backbeat thing at the very, very end of the tune. It vamps for a while. And I said, we got to keep keep the, don't fade until we get to that part where Will goes into that boom, boom, tank, boom, boom, tank. He goes to this backbeat thing in two. And the, the song is actually in, in six. And um, <laughs> I just, it was just, it has a really nice vibe. And uh, at the very end, I, you know, if you can envision this, uh, at the very end of the fade, which you don't hear, it's a good thing. I I had my whole arm, from my fingers to my elbow, in a straight line, and I was pounding the whole keyboard, playing about forty notes at once, well maybe thirty, with my whole arm. <laughs> and so you don't hear that because we faded out right before it got to that point. The the song is in D Dorian, so D Dorian is all the white notes on the piano. So I just oh. put my arm down and was pounding away on the whole keyboard. But, of course, you, you don't really hear that. But you might hear the enthusiasm that I'm playing with at the very end. And, oh, okay. uh, of course, and the brilliance of Bob Shepard playing as well. Hmm. See, we learned something new today. Um, Mike D. Dorian, <laughs> yeah. all the white keys on the piano. I never knew that. Now That's you cool. know. Now you can yeah. sit there and, and play on all of those keys, and, and you'll know that that's D. Dorian. Ah, oh, that is cool. That is interesting. All right. All right, Mike, you have any other questions? Uh, no, that's it for me. That's it. 
Well, Dan, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to speak with you. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, you guys. And uh, keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Um, now, are you, are you on Twitter? Um, I am, sort of. Okay. <laughs> I do have an account. <laughs> I haven't been there for about a month. Oh, okay. Well, I'm let everyone know Twitter. what your Twitter handle is. Maybe we can get you some more followers. <laughs> what is it? It's, uh, it's, I don't even know what it is. Um, maybe I can look here. I have it. It's Dan Siegel Music. You see, that's who it is. That's me. Yes. I forgot. <laughs> Everybody needs a little help once in a while. <laughs> uh, so that is his Twitter handle. So go there and follow him on Twitter. You can find him on Facebook as well. And the website is dansiegelmusic.com. Thank you again, Dan. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks, guys. Have All right. Bye-bye. You too. Yeah. Bye. All right. That was Dan Siegel. His new CD is called Indigo. And again, you can find that on Amazon and his website, dansiegelmusic.com. All right, Mike, anything you want to add? Um, Nothing too much, Terry. I'll be going out tonight to a concert um, to see Althea Renee. She's playing Baltimore tonight. Okay. So I'll be out All there right. to see uh, Althea Renee. So yeah, that's about it. All right. Um, and I want to mention too, the last week, Mike and I did not mention about the passing of Jeff Gollop. Um, so I definitely wanted to take a minute to mention that and say how much we're going to miss him. Um, and just that we send our thoughts and prayers to his family. And, um, you know, we wished um, that they um, are, are doing well. And rest in peace, Mr. Gollum. I had the opportunity to meet with him at the Jazz Festival in Arizona, the Sedona Jazz Festival in Arizona. And it was pleasure seeing to see him play so definitely going to miss him all right thank you to joe in germany ollie thank you for hanging out with us this afternoon have a great evening or afternoon for joe probably it's nighttime now his bedtime we're keeping him up um, i'm going to close the show with far and away you've been listening to talking smooth jazz with your host jazz queen and mike Reynolds. and we look forward to talking smooth jazz with you again next time until then keep it smooth <laughs>